Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is brought to you by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned American manufacturing company based in New Berlin, New York. They make a line of acrylic colors and mediums that are top in class. Golden also manufactures the Williamsburg line of artist oil paints and core watercolors. I've used Golden for over the past 20 years and can attest to their quality and commitment to artist materials. You can find them in most art stores and online at goldenpaints.com. Amy Toledo is an artist who was born and raised in New Orleans and currently lives and works in Brooklyn and Hurley, New York. She earned her BFA from Washington University in St. Louis in 1995 and her MFA from the School of Visual Arts in New York in 2001. She's a 2018 Naifa Naiska Artist Fellow in painting and has recently had solo shows at Jeff Bailey Gallery in Hudson, New York and Black and White Gallery in Brooklyn. Previous shows include a two-person exhibition at PS122 Gallery in New York and several group shows, including exhibitions at the Samuel Dorsky Museum in New Paltz, Jeffrey Young Gallery in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, Wave Hill Gardens in the Bronx, Field Projects, and the Abrams Art Center in New York. She's been a resident artist at the Salston Art Colony in Ithaca, New York, the Provincetown Dune Shacks. U-Cross Foundation in Wyoming, Bird Cliff in Woodstock, and the Vermont Studio Center. Amy came down to my studio from upstate New York for a talk about driverless cars, 90s hip-hop, finding lily pads, and more. Here's our conversation. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, it's much warmer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the heat. Than the Troutman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So your studio has no heat. <laughs> Nothing. It's so cold. People are like, people on the floor like, wear like double boots and double socks and like these the crazy. The building just went It's heatless. just, it's just one of those things where like you get what you pay for. And oh, they're just yeah. very like cheap and you're just, everybody's just like whatever. We're all subletters it. of subletters of subletters right. and like we all have to like scramble to get a pass key somehow by nefarious Right. lying and cheating <laughs> so it's just like you almost feel like you're just there by accident you know you don't you don't dare request heat you just stop, I'm just stopping by <laughs> making some art yeah I don't I don't dare you know be so presumptuous right. to ask for a heat or anything like ask that ask for amenities or toilet paper like <laughs> oh, no never well that building's been there for a long time yeah and yeah I've been to a few studios in there where it's clearly a studio that's been turned into like four studios yeah that's or seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever gets it done. <laughs> but it's nice that you have. So you have that studio and then you have a studio upstate. Yes. How far away is that? It's about a two hour up oh, north. Not far. No. And, and, like and as an audio book lover, it's it's a pleasure yeah. to be back and forth. Yeah. It's like low to mid upstate, not even upstate. Yeah. Right? And I'm like a trucker too. I've got like my my cords all plugged in I'm like I know my lanes I've got like my coffee my audiobooks just yeah. swoop you know swinging through the lanes I know where I'm going it makes it easy <laughs> yeah. and that you know um I was just talking to my son about memory and he was saying well when you get older things like time goes by faster right and I said mm. well 
it feels like it does. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it does. But I said, I think that's because we have more memories of things. And the more you are familiar with doing something, the faster it feels like it goes. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. So if you do the same trip over and over again, there's nothing new. So you're just kind of, you shut down. Yeah. And you're in your, and you're in your weird cocoon. Yeah of like comfort, your comfort cocoon. Right. So as, as long as something doesn't go crazy around you, yeah. you know, you're, you're kind of in a bubble. Well, wait till uh, the self-driving cars things happen. <laughs> oh my God. That'd be so it's great. Not, it's not far off, right? I mean, my dad used to always be like, oh, and you know, in five years it's going to be, we're all going to be flying with flying cars. And I'm like, well, Jetsons. <laughs> things take a while. Yeah, they do. Like a Tesla arrived in the pickup parking lot at school and I was like whoa what the heck is that spaceship but uh yeah but now <laughs> nowadays I think maybe 20 20 years less I think oh okay don't you I'll hold you to it well nowadays like not even Tesla's other cars have that adaptive driving to where yeah where they can you. parallel park you yes or they'll keep you from going outside yeah your that's lane. true it can detect the lane markings that's true so you're right like we're almost halfway there so the cars will be able to do it, but then it'll take the government twenty years to paint the lines everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> so people don't just or get through all the like illegal Yeah. You know, the companies getting sued to death. That's the way it goes. For malfunctioning self driving cars. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I know, and then people will say there was like one accident with a Tesla where it hit someone and they're like, See, we can't do this. I'm like, Do you know many how many humans hit humans every single day? Way yes. more than that. Tesla's do I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would I would bet the human errors a little more and now you drive a lot I do Everyone's and I enjoy but I enjoy like the drive like I don't know I if do I don't like I it gives me something to do and it help, helps me relax like yeah. if I, I like when I'm sitting on a bus I feel stir crazy right so I think a self-driving car would be similar yeah I think so too I like driving yeah although the foot pedal thing gets old I'm in cruise control. Oh, are you? My husband's a cruise controller. I don't really, I like, I like to have full control. I don't trust the machine. Of course I should, but I the machine's probably better than me. So I have the cruise control that does adjust to the car in front of you. Oh, wow. So you can just let it, you can set it to 60 or 65. And if you get too close, you set the parameters. But if you get too close to the car in front of you, it slows and just keeps that distance. Amazing. It's nice. Our newer car, because we got a new used, but it's like, because our old Subaru was so old, we got this car and we feel like we're in like, we got like the hottest new. But it's like, it's like, this is five years old already, but it reads your texts out. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then if a woman is texting you, because we tend to use a lot more emotional like language <laughs> it'll be that. like thank you exclamation point exclamation point exclamation oh, no, point exclamation point <laughs> it'll just go on oh, for geez. seven seven <laughs> exclamation it's funny it's hilarious what does it do for emojis it just it skips it oh okay it skips the emojis well see you could lose a lot of conversation you there. really could you really could like it's really outside yeah <laughs> you don't see the little freezing face yeah, like, you know, also, too, like, the winky face. I feel like the winky oh, face yeah. is, like, code for, like, dumbass. Like, right. <laughs> so she said, like, yeah, I'll get right to that. And if you didn't miss the winky ass, you, I mean, the winky <laughs> face, <laughs> you missed the winky ass, you'd, you'd, miss the, you'd miss the part that said dumbass. Yeah, there's <laughs> a, yeah, or, like, I'm kidding, that sort of face. Yeah, like, yeah, or yeah. Or you kidding me, yeah. Or I like to use the anxious face with the teeth bared. Right. That's my favorite. I love that one. Yeah, that's my favorite. My that's new, my go-to. Do you have the new ones? No. Have you updated? 
Oh, I haven't. There's a new one that's brilliant that's like a face that looks like it had been beaten with a sack of oranges. <laughs> and I feel like it's specifically made for parents of children over the age of 40. I got to update then because I'm missing out on That sounds perfect. It's so applicable to so many different situations. Yeah, that sounds perfect. I've used yeah. it already. Yeah. Like crazy. Yeah, I'll probably okay. have use for it today. Sorry, let's steer it back to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you have... <laughs> Two studios, one in Brooklyn and one upstate. Yes. And I moved out of New York about uh, eight years ago. I uh-huh. lived lived in New York or Brooklyn 12 years and then moved Lock, upstate. Lock, stock, and barrel. Just, like, yeah, I took the plunge. So you, did you grow up in New Orleans? I did. Or New Orleans? Well, several, New Orleans? Pl- several places. I'm from New Orleans officially, as my family is, but my dad worked at AAA and we moved us around a lot. So I've also lived in Wisconsin and Wyoming and Florida, but the main base is New Orleans. New Orleans. How was that? I love New Orleans. It was cool. Although I can't imagine living there. <laughs> it's it's a weird place. It's very Southern Gothic, you know. Yeah. It's got like this light party kind of wonderful sparkling side yeah. with all this old culture and history, but it also has this like dark seedy underbelly. Right. Like you can't bury bodies because they'll float up in the next oh. flood. So everybody gets like thrown into a, like a, whatever, a tomb. Yeah. of your family and then then there's squabbles between the family like who is allowed to go in the tomb and it's like oh well they weren't married to a certain person the right way so they are not allowed in the mask oh <laughs> but it's just ridiculous that's what I mean it's like a Flannery O'Connor story it's just yeah. like there's this like kind of dark side but it's also beautiful that's grim side but then you have all that great music and yeah but then with music comes partying Mm -hmm. and there comes debauchery and all that stuff yeah but I was like a child there so I mean not to say I went I was there till I guess I was about you know maybe 18 yeah so I mean I enjoyed my my share of teenage partying but I was uh, mostly a child and as a child there you uh, Mardi Gras is different. It's more about like seeing your teacher on the float and trying to get her eyes so she'll pelt you with beads right. and um, the the f- food um, that you would make at home or the you know the family recipes kind of thing. It's not so much. I didn't experience the side of it that adults know, which yeah. is fine dining and um, you know jazz clubs and all right. that stuff. Mine was like a weirder, more narrow experience. Well, of were it. you? <clears throat> Exposed. I mean, it's a pretty creative, artistic town. Yeah. Were you exposed to that early? Oh my God! Yeah. The, uh, uh, there's this great high school there. It's called the New Orleans Center of Creative Arts, mm-hmm. and um, it was uptown in this old, dilapidated Victorian building. And you'd audition, and and if you got in, you could go two years for high school, and it would kind of take the place of your not as important subjects like study hall or PE, no offense, people who love PE, but stuff like that. And you would go, um, half a day. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like the Marsalises were teaching and you could hear people practicing their scales in the scales room. You'd hear the dancers thudding up. You could see like theater and, um, you know, I saw uh, some, some kids do like a theatrical version of Anne Sexton, fairy tale poem it was just very great and we had a we had a photography lab and back then it was silver processing and we had a figure drawing critiques painting printmaking um well so you you got exposed to it all oh man it was like the best time one of the best times of my life like that 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 whole experience 
Now, all the way back then, were you already veering towards drawing and painting? Or Yeah, I'm one of those annoying people that like was born wanting to be an artist and never veered. So I... I don't know if that's annoying. <laughs> well, oh, well, I guess I do. It is a little people. annoying, I think. It's like, oh, you're... Yeah, I'm one of those people. <laughs> but basically, my mom says that when I was three, mm-hmm. she was painting, she was taking an oil class oil painting class and she was doing a painting of a swamp at the kitchen table and ever since I was three I just decided and went for it and she even like got little books about how to be a parent to an artist and so she was very they were very supportive luckily they were very uh, luckily supportive and then they had this great resource of NOCA and then I you know I just basically just kept on the same exact path yeah and went to undergrad. And then after undergrad, I had a little bit of a uh, not sure what I want to do right. moment. That happens to a lot of us. Where you get a real job and right. you're you're like, okay, I'm going to prove to myself I can get a job in New York and like survive, basically. Now, did you move to New York because of art? Or did you move to New York with art in the backseat in a way? Or how did it, you know what I mean? Or were you yeah. like, I'm going to go there and just start? showing art well uh I heard from my professor that like you should go to New York at some point if you want to be an artist and might as well do it when you're young and so I had that in the back of my mind and then I also had this idea like publishing I'll work in publishing I know that's the ticket (laughs) where'd you get that Oh, just seemed like the thing to do, and then big city. Yeah, so yeah. we like um, my boyfriend, husband now packed up this Penske truck, and we drove out, and we just had this apartment in New Jersey. Eventually, we moved to Brooklyn, but we worked in publishing. I think that was like the difference between the Gen X experience versus the millennial experience is that there were jobs like entry level yeah. jobs at the time, so you kind of could go in, and, and it wasn't like. So expensive. I mean, yeah, it, it, it wasn't. Was I mean, we definitely, like, you definitely rack up your share of credit card debt, but, like, you could make a living. You yeah. could, yeah, if you had enough roommates. You, you could, could do it. You could do it. You could now, do it, yeah. it seems pretty It doesn't seem, <laughs> I don't know how people know. do it now. I don't um, either. Yeah. It's so. a different ball game at this point. I, I think. think it is. It's much harder. I mean, I guess there's more places to show and more opportunities, perhaps, but still, I mean, it's so expensive. Yeah, yeah. Not easy. No. So you came, you started working in a giant publishing house. <laughs> well, very small. It was called, a, oh, I worked at a stock photo house. And oh, then I, that? I, it, I was called Picture Perfect, but it also had the same name as a casting company. So Kevin Bacon would occasionally call. Oh, nice. <laughs> By your, accident. There's your one degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there were like six employees. And then eventually I worked at a coffee table book publisher. So I researched kind of funny things like Marilyn Monroe and then it's World War Two airplanes and sea boats and or seaplanes and then it's, you know, Egyptian art. It's just like such a crazy bargain Diverse. bargain yeah. coffee table book publisher. So that was kind of fun. And then um then I was just like, enough of this, I'm going to grad school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that I stopped working, but enough of this is going to be my only thing, you know? So I kind of commit recommitted to myself as an artist and went, you know, applied to four schools. I got rejected from three and I got into SVA. So I went and it helped because I still had to work while I was at SVA, but it just felt like my life was richer. Like it felt empty before, like when I took the break, like a five year break from making work. Now the work that you applied to, 
to grad schools, was it somewhat similar to what you're doing now? Somewhat, but it was really rusty. And it was like some landscape. Yeah, like my undergrad stuff was landscape and all kind of inspired by this. Um, my mom moved across the street from this abandoned lot. So I'd done a lot of work with landscape from that lot mm-hmm. as a teenager. And then in, in college, I did a lot of landscape. But I think I was just doing like still lifes around the house. I don't even know what I applied with. I mean, it would probably be mortifying to see what I applied with, but I somehow got in. And then I really felt like there were great professors there that um, just kind of helped me grow and take it. And you were also like in the heart of Chelsea at the time, which was like the scene. I mean, I guess it is the scene still. Are the studios between... They're on 21st, Park. like eight between like 8th and 9th. Oh, they're over there. Yeah. I so that. I thought they were towards that, the east side. That's an undergraduate Oh, I, section. that's right. That's yeah. Right. So, but we were right there. So you just, like, I, you could quiz me on any, any artist that was showing between 99 and 2000, I would know, because we were there all the time. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I guess you would just spend all your time working and then you could just go out and yeah take a it was and cruise the galleries. it was pretty great and that's when the, at that point chelsea is jumping like it is it was jumping it was fancy yeah it was fancy Money pants. flying around all over the place i mean there probably was like one less um david's warner but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty much Wait, yeah did that make it doesn't it or aren't there like three anyway there yeah. was probably only one then but yeah. yeah, it was still the epicenter. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and it was it was the the art market and people, you know it was like booming then. Very much, there was a lot yeah. Of galleries opening and a lot of mid sized galleries. Yeah. I remember. Remember too. those? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, In I remember. Middle. Sniff, sniff. But yeah. yeah, I remember. Remember them. Oh, those are good times. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have been excited to be sort of working in that atmosphere, so close to. And don't you get a charge from that? Yeah, I mean, I think at the time it was really good for me because it's almost like you're not used to, it's like you're plunging your work within the spotlight all of a sudden. Yeah. And just for a couple of years and then you get out of grad school and then the spotlight's off again. Right, <laughs> but, but, um, but it's good to it's good to measure yourself a little bit against what you're seeing. But then there was like a really good visiting artist, uh, Carol Deal, who had said to us... Um, uh, remember when you're out there and you you look at the stuff that's being shown and you think, oh my God, I would never fit in here. Like, this is ridiculous. I would never. She's like, because you're making the art of the future. So you're not supposed to fit in right now. And it was like such a comfort to hear that for wow, some that's... reason. I just really clung to that because yeah. whenever I feel like I'm the odd man out or kind of don't fit in or not, not in the cool zeitgeist, it's just always remember her saying that. And it was helpful. Yeah, that's a that's a nice thing. I always feel like I'm at the wrong time. <laughs> See, because you're making the art of the future. That's true. That's, that's true. why. That's why. But what if you make the art of the future, and in the future, <laughs> everyone misses you, or like you know misses oh. the boat on you? Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Right, so, right. that's not going to happen. No, you just continually be your yeah, futuristic forever. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's an upward slope. <laughs> right. I mean, you might slide back, but you're going to keep going up yeah, eventually. Yeah, two steps forward. On balance. One back. Yeah. Exactly. That's how it is. Right. Like running a bunch of people running up a wet, muddy hill <laughs> and then sliding down and then going back up. That's kind of a good analogy for being an artist. Yeah, exactly. Especially in the city. Yeah. So you got out of school and yeah. then did you just start working back up again? And Yeah. I mean, I got another job and I had 
it was um, right after September 11th, so there was uh, not a lot of jobs. It was kind of a depression in the job market, so I got a job in Long Island, and I commuted like multiple buses, multiple trains. <laughs> like how far out? Kind of near Hicksville. Jer- okay. Yeah, yeah. So I would go out there, and I worked at a cable TV channel doing like website stuff. Man, you put in the hard work. Well, I was also That's just you young. I was young, yeah, <laughs> energetic. Yeah. And then I would get the the bus and the train and the bus and the train to home. Oh, wow. And then I had rented a studio with my friend in Dumbo. Mm-hmm. So I would usually go there after work and then work till 11 and then go home. So it was a very intense time. But I think once you're, grad school's already intense. So yeah. you're kind of used to that life. And if you kind of just keep the momentum. Um, but I think... You know, I'm also a high energy person. I think that helps. Like yeah. if you don't have night energy, it can be a style cramper trying totally to keep agree. your work I going. People, I think when I was younger, I had more of that night energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, uh, it ebbs and flows. <laughs> right. But I've, I've <laughs> known people who don't have that kind of yeah. energy and it is like that nine to five will kill you. It's tricky. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm blessed luckily with night energy yeah. still even. Now, are you a, I guess this is going to delve into your process, which I want to say, but are, did, are you a relatively quick worker? Are you painfully slow or somewhere in between? I guess I would consider myself painfully slow. Yeah. Uh, so I that's like, tough. You need that energy then. I really do. Because like you might spend, you know, five hours working on something and now you need to, it won't even be see the light of day. You know, because it's being covered up the yeah. next day and covered up and covered up. So it's all just about learning as you go and the pro- letting the process go. But so it's a lot of almost hamster wheel yeah. running. So you just need you just need oceans of time. Well, how did you how did you learn the patience for that? Because that's not an easy thing to grapple with logistically. You know, you could say to yourself, "Well, I just got to put in the hours and." and work over things and over things. But when you're working a job and you don't have a ton of time in the studio, that's not an easy hurdle to get over. Yeah. I guess I think of it as like the cost of doing business. Like if you want to, like if I want to make a painting that surprises me and is, looks fresh Mm -hmm. and it's going to take like a long time of making a very tight over painted painting and then eventually come through that tunnel and become fresh again. I got to, it's the cost of doing business, you know? It's just like, it's, it's going to take this amount of effort to get through that tunnel. Yeah. And um, eventually, hopefully, it won't take me as long, although so far so bad. It's <laughs> taking just as long <laughs> to get there. But, you know, it, it's nothing, it's, the thing is that, I think it's like that endorphin rush when you get, when you get a, something that's surprising and uh, like so, like something you can't even imagine how you did it yeah then that keeps you questing for more and it gives you more of a tolerance for the, the slog right because i feel like um i always That's like such a great word the slog <laughs> it's so the slog the, like slog. The, <laughs> the first 70 percent of a painting is the slog <laughs> well there's like in my opinion there's like three stages there's like the slathering stage uh-huh. where you're just slathering. Yeah. You're just slathering, just it up there. slathering something on something. Right. And you just need to cover the thing with the thing mm-hmm. that's slathering. Then there's two is like lily pads of goodness. So you're slathering, you're slathering. And all of a sudden in amidst the slathering appears a lily pad of goodness. Mm-hmm. Now your hope is that lily pad will 
grow and become more lily pads until all the lily pads connect and you have a completed painting. Right. So that lily pad gives you hope to keep soldiering on. But in the slathering uh, stage, it can be extremely demoralizing for a while. We'll see. So I have a different experience, but a similar kind of framework. I don't really do the slathering, but I do, I build the framework for the image. You know what I mean? Like the structural kind of like under painting, Mm -hmm. not underpainting, but you know, kind of like the building it out, which is often. Like a planning stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's often laborious and time consuming and irritating and not very like it's it's hard to see the forest from the trees. Yes, you know? yes. But then you get to a certain point in the painting, and I think that's when the lily pads start to gather. Yes, where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're like, okay, this is not for nothing. Exactly, that's you, the wonderful moment. Yeah, you hit kind of like yeah. it's like climbing up a really big, you know, like a roller sco- coaster going up the hill, yeah. and then you sort of get near the top, and you're like, okay, this is going to be good. You coast for a little bit, and then you get your yeah, mind yeah, exactly. It doesn't it, feel as life and death after yes. you get a lily pad, right? You're like, there's there's a light here. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out, but I'm, well, how much... Well, if you never get a lily pad yeah. and you have to call it a, call it a day, that is the saddest day. That's like the car that's the lemon. That is the saddest. Gotta let it go. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you've tried for six months and you've never gotten a lily pad, that's it's a very, very sad. But you know, the cost of doing business, you're going to have some... Six months. How long some, does it take you to make a painting? Well, if it works out, you know, some paintings have taken a month or two months, but then if it's, you know, a struggle, it could take that long. And, and especially if there's no lily pads and you're just trying to get something. Yeah. And then you just have to bail on it. That is the saddest day. That is the yeah, saddest day. Yeah, all that day. work. But it doesn't happen that often. But it will, because ha- uh, hopefully you can turn it around and paint it back into life. But if you're, for example, you, you start off with a bad composition, you know, it's just yeah. going to die. And it's, it's a sad day. Now, do you, will you paint over old paintings or do you just rip it off and start a new one? I guess I usually rip it off only because, um, you probably don't experience this, but if you work with a lot of dark, like browns, Mm -hmm. there's this horrible phenomenon called sinking in. Mm -hmm. And so if you put enough brown paint on a surface, eventually start to sink in. So it's something you painted the night before you go back the next day. It's just disappeared. Oh yeah. yeah. It's almost like it gets kind of a glare or something, or it it gets chalky, but it just, it's gone. And you have to keep doing these intermittent kind of retouch varnishes or use medium to get, that back to life mm-hmm. but um so if I were to it would just be foolhardy to work on an old painting because I would just be setting myself up for immediate sinking right. in yeah it's like you're not going to escape the battle you already are trying <laughs> to avoid exactly so but if you've got lily pads going then there's no reason you can't repaint parts of the painting or the whole thing and know you're kind of like in the right direction yeah you know I, I kind of I learned how to paint traditionally through oil paint and I don't do that now but I can only imagine a similar thing with acrylics is mm. the whole drying temperature of like you know they say it's like seven shades darker yeah oh yeah so sometimes you'll you are trying to make really subtle shifts in colors oh, and man, light and shadow yeah. and I will after a while you just get good at it you know how it's gonna mm-hmm. you know darken over time but sometimes it doesn't work out so you'll do all this work and then you paint it and you when it dries, it's like the same thing. The browns, like the next day, it's like the same. Well, although it's quicker with but, acrylic, but still so frustrating. Yeah, it's like the same color, and you're like, wait, what happened? Like, yeah, yeah, I know, I feel it. Yeah, trials and tribulations. <laughs> <of that>. Yeah, <laughs> making, things just don't behave. Right. I mean, don't get me started on linen. 
I can't take I had to start gluing it down. I couldn't really. Oh, do you work on linen? I tried it, but I, I'm back to canvas. Yeah, I tried it too. I did one show of small paintings on linen and it just, well, A, it doesn't make sense for my work because I'm not really, I don't really want the tooth. No, you don't really, yeah, you need a smoother. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to yeah. negate a lot of that. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, makes I, sense. you can see the tooth of the canvas in them and I think people see them in reproductions. They think they're totally flat. They're not. There's a lot of stuff there, but I don't want them to be kind of. Like a Gauguin, like yeah. burlapy looking right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the charm of linen, I think. Yeah. Uh, we could actually, this is a great time to get to the bottom of linen. Mm. I don't think we, I've oh, I don't it. feel, I don't feel qualified. Linen, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not qualified for anything, so. Um, linen is totally just, it's kind of like, uh, what's a great example? It's not caviar. It's, it's kind of like something that's been pumped it, up. Yeah, it's like a fetish object or yeah. a luxury item right. or something like that. See, I can't go with fur <clears throat> because fur is, is the whole political side of it. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like yes, this thing that I totally people do. are like, oh, yeah. it's on linen. Yes. And it, I think it's just, and they, you know, is it really that much better? Like, what is the difference? It's slightly darker and a slightly different texture. I don't know. I guess some people, I mean, I think there's people who really love the, the surface. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more springy. And then there's some people who like the feeling that it's like it makes the object seem more precious. That's what I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but isn't that kind of like name branding it? It is. It does make sure it does. It does skeeve me a little. Yeah. But uh, especially when the sides are very clean. Oh, yeah. yeah. But then maybe it serves the work in a way I'm not noticing. I don't know. I, I guess you'd have to work on it long enough. I mean, it does have a lovely, rich character when you do paint on linen, mm-hmm. but I find it so temperamental, it's not worth the stress. Yeah. And I do love like a Gauguin on burlap. I mean, that's lovely to see that chunky. But that kind goes of, along with the whole rustic. Yeah, that's true. Deal, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to start making panels of crushed diamond dust. <laughs> <laughs> it's smooth, but it's luxurious. Well, yeah, that's a whole other topic. Like <laughs> if you have a precious material in your tool. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, like the gold. Paint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess with acrylic, it's all, it's so man-made and artificial in a way. Well, yeah, it's, it's almost, artificial. it's almost, it's almost kind of cool because you're, it's not, you know, it's sort of, it's not as esteemed as oil. Right. So it's almost it's like kind of more subversive to work in it, yeah. you know, in a way. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like it's comparable to plastic in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. But it has its moments. Well, and you got to pick like, I'm, I'm no tool snob. You know, you got to pick the tool that's right for your work and then screw everybody. Yeah. You know, you know why I turned to acrylics? <laughs> you know why I turned to the dark side? <laughs> when I was in undergraduate school, everyone was working in oils and there was no ventilation back then. Mm. And people just had open tubs of poly or of, of uh, turpentine. <laughs> uh-huh. Just like <laughs> yeah. pools. <laughs> Like verdant pools. There's one dude in our <laughs> studio, in our studio room, who just had, it was, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a, a dish that was about two feet wide oh and about two inches high. And it was filled with turpentine. Oh my God. So it was just, I was getting these <laughs> massive headaches. Of course. And I didn't know why. I couldn't put two and two together for some reason. But eventually I realized, you know, I don't think these fumes are, are working. No, no. So and that I, was just, that was just poor. Yeah. Uh, poor work methods there to just yeah. leave a big plate right. <laughs> turpentine. <laughs> but you know, like back then the whole the whole space had the scent. Yeah, of yeah, like of course. Dead brain cells. Yeah. 
you kind of like, oh, you just roll with it. Right. But but there's this, there's an extreme end of that too, and that yeah. seems extreme when you're getting like you know yeah hazy, and you know now there's terpenoids and there's minerals, there's stuff that's a little more green. Yeah, and I have this like a filter I bought once I think from Dick Blick or mm-hmm. it's it, it looks like an R2D2 but it it kind of it does take this uh, at least the fume out oh, that's it, good. if if it's a winter time yeah um but I don't know how I mean so I'm not just marinating in that I mean I am but at least I'm doing like a, I give myself a little bit of a feeling of some safety right but <laughs> yeah well I mean I think half the acrylic paints I use have that cancer X on <laughs> they all I know you just you know what are you gonna do what are you gonna do what are you gonna do I mean I use a microwave yeah I'm just exactly <laughs> it's the tip of the iceberg exactly there's BPA in our sofas exactly we, there's probably BPA in these microphones yeah <laughs> you gotta live yeah we just have to you know you just have to live right right so oil paint and back then were you just going back to your earlier work is it it's mostly landscapes yeah because like uh, my mom moved to work and um, then my parents got divorced my mom moved into a field uh, no a neighborhood outside new orleans and it was across the street from this abandoned lot Mm -hmm. and so i just started doing these paintings of the lot and i even continued doing them in undergrad and then it started to expand into other scenes i would find um like I might find a snowy golf course and there's like a, a, a bushy tree in the distance that looks kind of like a brain, yeah. you know, so stuff like that I would kind of start painting. And but I, all are mostly from observation. Uh, well, they'd be from photos. Yeah. Um, but you I know, mean things that, you yeah, know. I would go, I would go oh. out and seek, seek that. And it would just, you know, if my friend had a car to drive mm-hmm. me around or if I went home f- for the holidays to Wisconsin one yeah. of the places I lived, I would shoot the golf course or whatever like that. In the snow? Yeah. But I think I started to kind of feel like uh, the landscape felt like, um, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but you would just have this like um, intense emotional response mm-hmm. when I saw yeah. a specific uh, landscape. And so it started to feel kind of like a psychological cipher. I don't know if that's a word, but like or the right way to say it, but kind of like a something that could hold psychology. Yeah. And could be tweaked right. in ways. So it started to, feel like I had a lot of potential, but, um, wait, now that sounds slightly conceptual. Be careful. Oh, I know. Watch out. (laughs) Busted. It's my SVA background. But, um, yeah, I basically just kind of kept on doing them. But then, um, whenever you choose a genre, Mm -hmm. you come up against a little bit of the baggage that that genre contains and every person has to deal with that baggage of the genre they've chosen. Mm -hmm. So in, in my case, I consider the baggage that landscape has is the vacation Vista. So basically, uh, the reaction of a viewer would say, Oh my gosh, honey, remember when we went hiking in California? It reminds me of that. And it's not a bad reaction because not everyone is sensitive to painting. But if that's the overwhelming reaction, then your content isn't pushing through. So that's the job of the artist is to push their content through that baggage. And I think it took a really long time, actually, like maybe 10 years or more of working before I felt like um, it was getting less Vacation Vista and more content. That's like your 10,000 hours right there. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, so like I remember in Long Island City, I had a studio there and I had these paints and I kind of made them more somber, mm-hmm. taking out the color. And I think like a, like a lady from Queens came in, she was like a, a grandma and she had like, you know, like a kind of leopard print 
outfit and she just was adorable and she came in and was like "Ooh, things are kind of spooky in here and i thought i made it i did it push through finally because like finally finally um this grandma from queens Mm -hmm. she was my ultimate test because she came in she was obviously not like an art connoisseur you know and she got the content like that so that was a huge breakthrough for me i felt like i had done I pushed through. Now, um, aver- but it turns out that if you take the color out of landscape, the content comes out more easily. Mm-hmm. But if you want to put the color back in, it's a lot more treacherous. So that's what I've been kind of working on lately, trying to get color in there again, but not not go back to vacation visiting. Now, are there other areas of creative endeavors that people do that you kind of use or can associate with or feel like they do that well so like film or writing where it's maybe a slightly traditional avenue that they're going down but they tweak it in just the right way where they're able to make it even i have someone in mind but go ahead oh oh, um i'm not sure i mean like my um i guess the only comparison I can think of is I just saw her live is the comedian Maria Bamford oh yeah yeah uh she is like a from the Midwest and very sweet with the sweetest voice Mm -hmm. um but she has like a razor sharp wit and she can weave into her comedy sets that are so accessible so warm and welcoming but then she can weave in these like biting social commentary and it's not like I'm trying to do biting social commentary but I do feel like landscape similarly is accessible Mm -hmm. as a genre and it does warmly welcome everyone and everyone from any time from any country everyone can relate so but but you want to weave in uh, a content and I think she does that yeah very well yeah, that's really, isn't it inspiring when you can find someone who's doing it in a totally different realm? Yeah, and way? she's so brave, too, and she's really not always been, you know, rocketing to the top. Yeah. And she's just always been brave enough to just, like, explore her own weird voice. Right. And I just admire her so much. Yeah. Are there painters that you, I mean, I'm sure, well, I would just imagine there's just a lot of, like, in historical painting, there's a lot of stuff that you can mine that you really interested in but I mean is there more contemporary stuff that you feel like taps into a vibe that you're into well like my I, I call him my mental mentor mm-hmm. but my mental mentor is um, Charles Birchfield oh right aka the Birch and he is um he's just like he's just great like because he you know to me I like an iconoclast yeah he's an iconoclast like he lived in Buffalo he had five kids he used to make like a hundred and twenty watercolor paintings a year and then during the time his kids are being born he might have made like 20 things (laughs) (laughs) which I love yeah and he also had a weird vision it kind of sometimes went a little corny but it was so weird and unique yeah and he did his own thing on you know in snowy buffalo away from everything and he came out with something really unique like he he kind of left the herd you know he wasn't in the city with all the abstract expressionists, you know, he left the herd and he was like out there rogue and, and, and something crazy occurred, you know, which I love, I really love his stuff. I think I have most kinship, I guess, with him. And there's even this like, um, I think it's like Smithsonian or something like that. The, they were interviewing him as an oral history project. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't, I don't think anybody, 
he's like rocking his chair and it's like creak creak and he's like i don't think anybody's ever gonna paint the landscape again i mean i just hope that someday somebody (laughs) will paint it and and be interested in nature and i'm just like i will birchie i'm i'm gonna do it um but yeah he's just a darling man and i love his vision and i like you know i like alice neil i kind of like uh, artists that are away from the herd they do yeah. their own weird stuff and they drill down into themselves right you know you I, know who I thought of in I kind of like when I was looking at your work I thought of tangentially but um, one of my professors when I was in school Catherine Murphy oh I love Catherine Murphy I think has just <clears throat> the right amount of weird she's so work. good isn't she amazing? she's so so good and I love her I love that weird drawing she did of like a framed painting oh yeah yeah or like a coloring book mm-hmm. my favorite ones of hers are when she kind of stumbles upon stuff like yeah. like uh i'm gonna just paint all these knot holes right yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know in, or, in tube or, or yeah i found this this hose yeah just in a weird on a green the green hose on a green grass and you know and elevate that and that to me is like the quintessential example of like following your unique vision yeah because that's something you could easily walk by and dismiss your own interest in mm-hmm. but she's trained herself to recognize that feeling and right. honor it and yeah. really pursue a work about it yeah and it's not weird like it's not set up weird or no. weird for weird sake it's just odd in a really interesting way like she did those paintings of pies that are just yeah they are so good but do you remember that one where she's it's the woman on the bus with the black leather gloves yes oh my god like that is isn't there a clutch yeah Yeah, like that is so um it's so inspired you know she saw that on the bus and trained herself to recognize that moment as her vision and it really radiates that when you see the painting yeah well, when I think of her too, one of my other professors, Sylvia Mangold. Oh yeah, she's so. Good. She's kind of like a different. Yeah, yeah. and she hasn't really. I feel like she hasn't had her full due. No, not at all. Um, that's like the age-old, like you know, crap of the, like the husband getting all the attention. Yeah, you know? I know. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, um, big fan, big yeah. fan of her for sure. Yeah, those paintings. Really are weird. So, really weird. Really strange. Yeah. And very quiet. Yeah, you know? very weird. Just. Just like who would see, who would notice that, and that's what's so special about her is I that agree. She, you know she had the courage to follow her own um, inspiration, yeah, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely. I um I was thinking too of like filmmakers, and I know people sometimes cast them off, but like M Night Shyamalan, you know the uh, the movie he did, The Happening. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm too scared to watch any scary movies. So yeah. I usually just read the plots on Wikipedia. I, I don't like scary movies at all. I feel like, why am I going to pay someone to scare the crap out of me? <laughs> I hate but it. I did see that movie, and that movie was more, to me, it was more horrifying because it was it seemed to be seated in reality. Oh, or, yeah, like a Hitchcock. Yeah, a little That's more what Hitchcock's like. And my favorite. Hitchcock's my favorite. Yeah, because that scary things happen in the middle of the day. Yes. And in one, like, have you seen Rope? Oh no! It's shot in one. It's I think it's two takes, but it's basically it's one apartment and it's this uh, murder mystery. It happens oh. in one room, basically. Oh, it's incredible. I'll check that out. Yeah, but it's it's not the like I don't want to sound I'm going to sound old here, but like now it's all CGI all the time, mm-hmm. blowing up, death, mm-hmm. whatever. 
back then, I feel like there was this nice, like sometimes not getting out all the information mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I do. I'm also you, old, so yes, right. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to fight me on this I agree wholly, wholeheartedly. My son is like, Marvel <laughs> movies are the best thing ever. And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, they're good. <laughs> Everybody looks like a jiggling marshmallow. Yeah. They're all digital. <laughs> I, know. I know it's so like specifically that thing, you know. Um, but I was really excited. We watched the Close Encounters of the Third Time. Oh the yeah, night. very like a, a building suspense. And he loved it. Mm-hmm. And there's not that money. I mean, the, we had to go into why that wasn't CGI and how like you could do something like that. Which yeah, mind blowing. I think too. But yeah, um, such a great like. Sometimes you don't need it all at once. Yeah. Like, sometimes you know the unsaid can be really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Maybe today's just so noisy that it's hard to for people to hear you. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. a Sylvia Mangold painting is harder for people to hear for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Not everyone's sensitive, you know, to well, you to have, art like that, I think. Yeah, and you have like art fairs and crap and you have like yeah. you know, you need mirrors so people can take pictures <laughs> in it and it should spin <laughs> or move. <laughs> well, um speaking of uh, I, d- I am brave enough to listen to Agatha Christie. Oh, so wow. I do enjoy a murder mystery but only audio audio book yeah no images just is that what you listen to when you're working i usually do yeah but and and it's kind of occurred to me like a the interesting as a thought experiment what if you changed what you listen to because um if you listen to all always murder mysteries then work will uh, like almost symbiotically take on a dark a darker tone right what if you like a context even yeah, what if you change? Because you're not really painting about that, but it's just like absorbing yeah. the ambiance. Right. So, what if you changed what you listen to? What would that be? What would happen? Yeah. Because I've spent years of the murder mysteries. So. I've been, uh, you know, I love comedy podcasts. Oh yeah, me too. And I've been listening to a lot of them when I'm sleeping. Mm. So they're just playing in my headphones while I sleep. I feel like I'm not funny. <laughs> No, that's just people they've, they've they've worked on their craft. That's true. Yeah, but I'm hoping for like some maybe it'll just seep in. Oh, it does though, because you start to think of things as bits sometimes. That's true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> like that bit where I was at the gas station before I came here today. That was hilarious. <laughs> right, and that's a tweet. Right, that's a great tweet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's what I think. So I I'm to not criticize old versus new, but I think nowadays though, like the way information is being delivered. Like, you know what I mean? Like, things are just changing as far as the, mm-hmm. the vehicle that the information gets out there. Now, you're someone who makes paintings that are landscape, beautiful, lush landscape paintings that are, like, super rich, but very quiet in a way. Oh, thank you. Do thank you... you. <clears throat> now, when you think about hanging those up and people look at them in the gallery space, do you kind of... Is that part of the the message? Is that I want to slow things down and I want to take you to this one place and look at something peacefully? I think I think I don't know. What I want them to feel, but I do want to slow things down for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I love, I I think I, I kind of feel like the more time you put into something, uh, that translates into viewable time in yeah. a weird way. Because I mean, because you think of something that's really layered, you're going to want to study that longer than maybe something or something more detailed you want to study that longer than something that seems quicker so um i think the reason i do work slowly is because i want the the viewer to to stay longer yeah to be in the image longer yeah i mean that's not a good or a bad thing though because maybe the people who make the quick art 
like the art fair style art, for <laughs> lack of a better term. But you know what I mean, like something that's almost like a one-liner. Maybe that's intentional, and that's they're just communicating in the language of that. You know, yeah. Maybe like there's good stuff. Good. Maybe there's good stuff out there. But in I guess in terms of I'm making something that like is kind of in the wheelhouse of art. I kind of enjoy. So like I want to see, like I'll like there was I think I don't know if it was. David Park or an artist who said like I'll cross the street to look at a painting <laughs> like you know I feel that way too like I want I, I, I'll I'll stay at the Catherine Murphy show you yeah. know for hours you I'll know cross the East River to see yeah um that's in the wheelhouse of stuff I love looking yeah. at what I'd want in my home if I could afford it you know so I, that's just kind of my taste no that doesn't mean it's the only thing the only way you know because it would be boring if everyone made well paintings of detail but um but that's what I cross the street for yeah you know so when you're working nowadays is all the imagery that you're painting basically stuff that you're living around upstate or that you're encountering when you travel and stuff or is some of it coming from other sources um it's all mine uh, upstate I, I i feel like when i was living in brooklyn um, my friend was house sitting upstate and i and i also went to a bird cliff residency in woodstock mm-hmm. so I, I would go up a couple times a year and i felt um you know i'm stone cold atheist but i did feel like a spiritual connection to the upstate landscape for some reason i don't i don't know why <laughs> i know i'm just like snap out of it it's but the sublime, uh right? I, mean, I don't know because i've i've loved a lot of different landscapes from new orleans st louis i loved montana like um wyoming it's something i don't i'm not even from i'm not even from new york but i love the landscape yeah. i love like like the great painter jake Berto said um the upstate landscape is kind of in a hitchcock way uh you could you could be in the noon on a sunny day and the woods are pitch black, you know, and, and how weird that is. And I think it might just be that the forest seemed darker, more dense. I don't know. It's something about it really connected. So I, I, once I, you know, decided to have a kid, um, we thought we'd move and just, because I didn't think I would be able to really go to residencies. I used to be able to go to residencies and take photos. Yeah, residencies are not for people with kids. Not generally. really, no. Generally, no. Although, although there are uh, like uh, residencies like the Saltonstall in Ithaca have mm-hmm. just started. The applications open now for um, New York State parents mm-hmm. for one week. So I think it's very doable for a parent. That's great. Really, that's the niche. We need more weeks. Yes. You know, and a partner who's willing to sit around for a week while you do your. But 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 don't you think don't you think that's like uh, definitely easier to be like hey partner yeah yeah one week yeah nine weeks is not going to (laughs) work. You're like hey partner one month that's like that's like no go like no I got stuff to do so I think one I think anyway so check that out everyone but um what was I talking about uh you were talking oh oh, so I would go to residencies and I once I had a kid I, I was like well you know. That's probably very unlikely to happen. So I decided to like live within a residency in the mm-hmm. landscape I love the most. And so it would just be like I'm on the way to the grocery store or driving my kid to, you know, daycare or whatever. I'd see this incredible thing on the side of the road. Yeah. And it like the Catherine Murphy thing, trying to follow her example, um, you'd kind of notice something, but usually you'd talk yourself out of it or keep going. And then over time I trained myself to recognize that that feeling like that feeling of huh you know like huh, huh. Yeah. look at that thing and then I started pulling over <laughs> and taking a picture and um making something out of it and through practice and doing that over and over honoring that huh moment yeah 
a body work started to evolve and it felt to me more like more just more intense because I was living within the source and you can see things you've painted either fall apart you know like a like there was this like cyclops like tree in a bog and it finally fell over one day after I painted it or you know just just stuff like the light will come back in the spring on this like mudslide hill and I'll see the painting again and it just it's a different experience to live deeply within your source and have it all around you like kind of grabbing you from the side as you're driving versus being almost like a, a trophy hunter like going out to a different state that you don't know um, and trying to connect to that place. And it always was harder for me. I yeah. think I think I do better. Some artists do great and can bring their vision um, anywhere and really get some cool stuff. But for me, I feel like, and similar to Birchfield, he said like, you know, keep your Elysian fields, keep your Rome, heaven is right here at my feet. Right. I feel similarly like I need to bond with the land and know it really well in order to get deeply into it mm-hmm. and pull something meaningful out of it. Yeah. I think it's better for my process. Right. Well, and to that process, in ta- you take photographs and you paint from photographs. Now, I think we're of a similar generation, correct? Yeah. Like roughly, I mean, I would assume. We're roughly the yeah, same age. Probably. Um, so, did you ever have that experience in school where people made you, certain professors or the air was if you're painting from photos it's bs or it's not creative or it's for cheating, sure or yeah it's, why would you ever do that sort of thing yeah for sure it's i mean not real imagination no so it's true and i still i still that? feel that way like i feel you know i love to do studio visits so i'm always inviting myself over to strangers studios and there was always, there was always a hushed moment where we both size each other up mm-hmm. and one person finally says i work from photos <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, me too. Okay, it's a safe space. Yeah. There would be no judgment right. here. Um, but it's, it's it's just, I think the trick is, if you're going to work from a photo, you don't want it to look like you work from a photo. Yeah. Or at least I don't for my stuff. Like you want to use it as a, like for me, I use it as data. Because mm-hmm. I feel like truth is, in my case, what I'm seeing is so weird. It's like I'm permanently in a haunted house and things are jumping out at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I need to have the data to show that, that um, form and I don't want to make it up because the scary part or the weird part is in the truth of it mm-hmm. so I need the photo to show me the truth of, or not the truth because that's not the right word but the data right and then I can um, use that and then and combine it with my um, imagination and my memory basically not imagination my memory yeah and enhance it into the experience I felt in the haunted house kind of feeling mm-hmm. So it's like, um, I think Edvard Munch said, like, I don't paint what I see, but what I saw is similar, like where you're using the raw data of the photo and you're marrying it to memory. Yeah. And then the two become something more than the parts. Which is basically <clears throat> all image making. Yeah. It's not like we're making things that we haven't seen in a way. Yeah. It's just a want to look, I guess the, the idea of why you wouldn't work from a photo is that there's certain genres too where it's more of a no-no like you know portraiture mm-hmm. I think still life oof, you know or landscape exactly yeah. um, but I think if you if it came out kind of flat or the colors started to become um, the same per every painting mm-hmm. I, you would you would start to feel like the tool was you know taking over you right you want to feel like you're in control of the tool yes definitely. but you'll find no judgment from me about photos I think go for it 
Yeah. I, mean, I don't yeah. want mosquito bites. You know? Yeah. Well, have you painted from life, like outside? And stuff? I have, yeah. I just, I feel like I'm, I need a rectangle. And yeah. you might argue, well, why don't you use one of those, like, you know, old timey viewfinders? Right, right. But I just, I like to feel cozy with my audio book. And I don't want to, I want to, I need a camera rectangle. It's a whole process. Like, I go out. I take the, I get the haunted house feeling, then I take the photo, then I go home and digest, and eventually I pick the image, and then I do studies, maybe sketches, and then I make the painting. So I don't really want to just sit there and make a fresh thing. I want yeah. it to be, I want it to be kind of distanced from the first, right? So it that is, the memory gets stronger in a way. It takes over the reality. Yeah, yeah. You're you're adding like space and time to it. You know, there's yeah, no right yeah, and I, it doesn't take away from. There's wonderful people that work from life, like Catherine Murphy or yeah. Josephine Halverson, do wonderful She's work from amazing. life. Yeah. Um, but I'm, but I just different strokes for different folks. Right, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> so you mostly listen to books on tape while you yes. work. Are you uh, still a music fan? I mean, growing up in New Orleans, I would imagine it's woven in there a bit. I do, I do love um, a, a wide variety. My favorite kind of music is old timey yeah. fiddle and banjo. Oh, nice. Um, but I bluegrass, bluegrass like Bill Monroe or Ada Baker oh, banjo. Flat Scruggs. Uh, yeah, all, all those guys. Um, all those weird songs like they found the baby booties in the snow, or what? you know, just like some some pregnant sure. woman like got taken over by her boyfriend, thrown in a river. You know, and now she haunts the hillside. You know, it's just that those kind of stories are like my my cup of tea. And uh, I also like '90s hip hop. Sure, I like De La Soul. We are of the same. And I like uh, my favorite one of them is Once Again in Long Island. Do you remember that one? No, what's it? It's so funny because it's like he's like um, he's like, are you rocking the spot? Yes, I be. Telling others they do not. Yes, I be. Having them towed from the lot. Yes, I be. That's my job as a super MC. Wait, this is De La Soul? Once again in Long Island. What is that on Three Feet High and Rising? I think so, yes. Oh, memories. Or Stakes is High. Oh, okay. I wasn't as big as a Stakes oh. High. Well, I mean, maybe, I like it. Maybe you should revisit. Well, Stakes is High, is that the one that had potholes in our lawn? I don't remember Potholes that one. in my lawn, I believe. I don't know. We'll have to go. I'm gonna have a deal because it's not on it. iTunes. They don't. They don't. Yeah, li- they don't license. They don't license their stuff. YouTube, maybe. Yeah, YouTube. That's it. They were so good. They're so good. And I like La Tigra. You oh, know, I kind of like a little great. electric clash. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just uh, sometimes I'm like into James Brown. <laughs> just, I love I lo- the JBs. There's, yeah. there's that one song called um, I'll Go Crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because he's almost like having like a, he's having a war with himself in the song because he's like, uh, if you leave me, I'll go crazy. You know, but then he switches and he's like, you have to live for yourself, yourself and no one else. And then he's just like, but if you leave me, I'll go crazy. <laughs> and it's just like a waffling back, yeah, and, back forth. and forth. So sometimes I just, you know, whatever. I was listening to Janet Jackson recently. And I don't know, just anything. Yeah. Diverse music. All approach. over the place. Yeah. That's great. So where can people find your work? And do you have things coming? Anything that, you know, tell yeah, the listeners um, where they can experience Well, I'm not sure when this podcast will drop. Um, Probably a couple weeks. Oh, okay. So this will um, already have opened. Mm-hmm. But I'm having a show opening at the Flynn Gallery in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. And that is opening uh, Thursday, December 13th. 
and will continue through January 23rd. And there is an artist talk. Um, it's on my website. It's sometime in January. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't uh, have the, the note with me here, but I'm doing an artist talk there. And then um, my friend artist Meg Lipke and I are kind of, we're trying to um, get a show together um, based on a poem by Christina Rossetti called The Goblin Market. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to pitch a two-person show, and we, we hope we've got a place. So hopefully that'll be coming up in uh, 2019. Nice. So we're excited about that. Get started on that. Yeah. Um, it's like a fairy tale uh, where two girls kind of go against these goblins selling fruit in the forest, and <laughs> one triumphs and one succumbs. So it's a very oh dark tale. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I have a, like a little um, group show in Wisconsin coming up. And I think that's it for nice. for now. That's confirmed. And your website's your name? Yes, amytoludo.com. You do social networking? I do. I enjoy the social meds. And I'm um, on Instagram. My, I use my uncle's nickname, Toluts. Toluts. <laughs> at Toluts. At Toluts. T-A-L-L-U-T-S. Nice. And I'm on Twitter as Toluts Tweets. You tweet? Yeah. I, I enjoy I enjoy the Twitter. And, uh... Yeah, I'm on Facebook not as often, but I'm on there. Yeah, you know. Facebook. Remember? Yeah, it's harder it for is. me. I'm not as into it, but uh, I think people's parents took it over. It's a bit like that. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of uh, sped up recipes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, Instagram's nice. It's a picture, and you can move on. Yeah, exactly. I enjoy the stories. Yes. They're, more, they're more silly often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People let their hair down. Mm-hmm. That's what <laughs> I like the best. Well. Thank you so much. Well, for thank coming. you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more about the podcast at soundandvisionpodcast.com. On the website, you can find more images I take from the podcast's at artist studios and in the galleries. Many thanks to Lullotone, who created the music that you're hearing now for the intro-outro, and for Michael Lovett for doing the intro for Sound & Vision. You can check out Sound & Vision at Instagram, at Sound & Vision Podcast, and you can check out more about my work at painchanger.com or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Thanks again to Golden Artist Colors for sponsoring the podcast. And please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It really helps out. Thanks for your support.